0: I want to read this to you. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And I want you to say this with me, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Today we're going to talk about being set free from a spirit of heaviness. So we're going to really dig in and examine that. But before we get into that I just want to explain, we're we're in a series right now. We are in a season right now as a church, as a body, as a family of freedom. And that is the promise that God holds out for us. It says, in fact, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's for freedom that he set us free. He wants us to be set free. And so that's his promise. So what's the holdup? What's the holdup? We are. And that's why I really believe that the spirit of the Lord has really been, been really ex- like stirring some things up in me and in, in some of our leaders to see that God wants us to move into a season of celebration and of rejoicing and of freedom. How many of you want to be free? Amen. So what is a spirit of heaviness? What is that? I mean, this is, this is not a, a concept that we talk about very often. A spirit of heaviness is like you're, you're wrapped up in it. Like you're completely enveloped with kind of a darkness, with a colorlessness. Just your eyes are kind of, it actually it compares it to how your eyes start to dim as you age. So you can't see clearly. Clearly. It's it's like a it's like a darkness that kind of descends a foreboding. Uh, could, would you guys mind turning down the lights? I can't remember the terminology. It's like this, like it's like a thick darkness. And I know there are some of of, of you who are right now experiencing something like this spiritually. In your life, there's just like a darkness, a hopelessness, a lack of vision, a lack of freedom, a lack of the ability to see clearly. And the Lord is promising to us that he wants to deliver us. He wants to set us free. He wants to give us a sense of, of the release from the burdens, from the heaviness. Those of you who showed up thinking this was going to be a weight loss sermon, it's not. So, sorry. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because it says, um, some of the versions say it's, instead of a spirit of heaviness, they call it a faint spirit, or a spirit of despair, or a spirit of weakness, or discouragement, or depression, or wailing, or sorrow, or sadness. A, A season or a spirit of no hope. That's what a spirit of heaviness does. It's like um, it, it actually says that it's like you're you're completely like cloaked in this darkness, like in this lack of hope, this lack of color, lack of vision, lack of freedom. And the Lord is saying he wants to take that, that, that uh, like, I'm, I don't know, the, my worries are just weighing me down. Or I just feel so burdened. I feel so, I just feel so heavy from these, these trials that I'm going through or whatever that happens to be. And the Lord is telling us that he came to reverse the effects of this spirit of heaviness, of this mantle or this cloak that we've been draped with, either from our own choices or from the choices of others or from circumstances. God wants to set us free. And what is the alternative to a spirit of heaviness? Do you know what it is? You can turn the lights back on. It is a garment of praise! <laughs> People are getting out their sunglasses. As a matter of fact, you guys are going to love this. Okay, so, so remember we talked about the seven words of praise a couple years back? And there's one word that everybody grabbed onto. And it's, a, it's like a crazy praise, like a faith-filled praise. And it's called, anybody remember? Tehillah. Remember? That's the word. God wants to take that hideous dark thing, and get rid of it. He wants to replace it with a garment of tequila. Not tequila, tequila. (laughs) God wants to restore laughter. God wants to bring back joy. And you know, honestly, right now, we are a church, for many of us, we're in mourning. You know, we lost one of our heroes this last week, our precious friend, Pillow. She was one of the wisest, most encouraging kind bold amazing human beings on the face of the earth she was this high but she packed a punch she actually was a corrections officer at the women's prison <laughs> you can imagine like she's like 5 foot nothing and she passed away this week she went to be with the lord and so while there's a heaviness and a and a sorrow and a burden we can still rejoice that's the promise the Lord brings and we're gonna get into that we're gonna talk about what is a garment of praise and what is a spirit of heaviness and how do we get delivered from that I I want to talk first about how does that spirit of heaviness impact us what does a spirit of heaviness do to us how are we changed as a result of that well I believe that you know some people will call it depression and it can be depression now You can have a spirit of heaviness without having depression, but you cannot have depression without having a spirit of heaviness. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You can have a spirit of heaviness without having depression, but you cannot have depression without having a spirit of heaviness. And we're going to examine that and explore that. So the first type of depression is the one that that, um, they have all the commercials about the antidepressants and, and, you know- a lot of people talk about this particular kind of depression, and it is a clinical. It's a chemical depression. There's something that, that is amiss in the chemistry of the brain. And this is the kind of depression that you can't pray away, okay? And you can't just decide not to be depressed anymore. Incidentally, I want to say this. Um, we need to be a people. And this is something I want to I work into our culture as a church. That the Adventure Church would be a place of honor. That we would honor people even when we vehemently disagree with them. Okay? Can we commit to being that to one another? That even if we disagree politically or if we disagree about the halftime show, or if we disagree about uh, spiritual practices or whatever, can we be people who extend grace to one another? Can we be a place of acceptance? Yet, no? Yes? Thank you. Seriously, it's, you know, if you're ever wondering, Romans chapter 14 is a whole chapter that talks about don't judge other people. Just worry about your own relationship with the Lord, pretty much. It says, to each one's own master, he must stand or fall, and God is able to make him stand. It says, who are you to judge another man's servant? Turn to your neighbor and say, who are you? (laughs) Okay, don't get all crazy. Okay, so the first type of depression, that's the type of depression. It's a chemical imbalance. And I'm not saying that anytime you're depressed, it's a chemical imbalance. But there is such a thing as a diagnosed clinical depression. This is the kind of depression that that you need some extra help. You may need to go to a therapist. You may need to temporarily go on antidepressants. And this is where I'm saying extend grace. You don't know. You don't know what other people are going through. Just be really careful. Judge in the same way you want to be judged, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say that. Judge me the way you want to be judged. There's going to be so many fights on the way home from church today. (laughs) Okay, the second type of depression is what I call situational. This is a kind of a depression that happens because of external things, things that are happening, things that have happened to you. Okay, this could be a death or some kind of loss, loss of a job, um, a discovery that your spouse is addicted to porn and you didn't know it, or that your spouse tells you that they're going to leave you, or you find out um, some horrible news, you lose your job, something like this. This is situational. This is something that happens from outside. And it just causes, in some cases, I want to make a distinction. There is such a thing as legitimate grief, legitimate mourning. The Bible talks about we need to mourn with those who mourn. There is such a thing as mourning. And what I have found is that the people who actually don't mourn, if they have a loss, say, for example, they have a death in their family or a loved one passes away and they do not grieve, it will squeak out some other way which usually isn't pretty. So I just want to set you free. If you're grieving, grieve. It's okay. It's a spiritual thing. As a matter of fact, after my husband died, I had a, um, a doctor friend of mine ask me if I wanted um, antidepressants. And I said, you know, honestly, I, I said, I've read enough about grief in the Bible to know that it's a spiritual thing the lord is near to the brokenhearted and i said i i I really i really just want to go through it and and actually experience it and like four months in i was like oh why did i do that i should have taken the drugs (laughs) but um but um there is legitimate i offended this guy um there is legitimate grief and so what I'm saying is be free to grieve. Grieve the way you have to grieve, okay? Don't compare yourself to how someone else grieves, how someone else mourns. We, we all grieve in our own way. Just, just try to honor God in the way that you do it, okay? On the other hand, there is a difference between mourning and self-pity. Self-pity is a really lousy counselor. Do not listen to self-pity. Self-pity will take you down a path you do not want to go down. Self-pity tells you, oh, you're a victim. Uh, Nobody understands you. You're all by yourself. Oh, you, you know, this is, your life is terrible. Everything is horrible. Self-pity, it does not honor God. First of all, it starts with the word self. So right there, you're, it's already a negative thing. Self-pity is different than legitimate grief. Um, I remember we uh we bought a puppy one time when my kids were little they were they were four, six, eight, and ten at the time, and we bought this puppy named bonkers, and Bonkers was eight weeks old when we got him it cost five five dollars and um when Bonkers was twelve weeks old, he just unexpectedly died. It was so sad, and as a mommy i was just i was just grieving for my kids it was so sad i do have to tell you a little aside my my youngest daughter um the one that was up here singing she do i have permission to share this story I, i'll ask her later um <clears throat> so so i So I was having quiet time. I was reading my Bible and my son came running up the stairs and he said, Mom, Bonkers is dead. And I'm like, no, Bonkers is probably sleeping. He's like, no, there's like ants crawling all over his tongue. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I knew Bonkers is probably dead. So I went outside. All the kids are standing around Bonkers. And my youngest daughter, Rebecca, she goes, this is the saddest day of my life. But it's still a great morning. <laughs> That's a good perspective about grief. <laughs> but you know, so we went on this. There's this website called InMemoryOfPets.com, and um, you could go make a, a little page for your beloved pet. And so we made this page for Bonkers, and you know, we you know put a picture of Bonkers, and then we put a little song over it. And it was the theme song. The theme song from. Uh, titanic (laughs) so corny but i mean it was really cathartic it was really helpful for us to kind of work through that process of grief because those of you who are pet owners you know it's painful to lose a pet even if you've only had it for four weeks but you know it was something that was really good and so during that time i was really grieving deeply not so much for bonkers i mean bonkers was a five dollar mutt but my kids were hurting and so that was hurting me and so i would sit in my chair and for like two solid days i sat in my chair and just cried and cried and cried and i was so sad so on day three i got up went and sat in my chair and it was like the holy spirit said nope it's time to get up wash your face and move on like okay kind of like the story of david when his son passed away you know, he grieved and then the Lord said, okay, time to wash your face, get up and move on. And I want to say that to some of you here today. It's time to wash your face, get up and move on. You've been lingering in some, it's not grief anymore, now it's self-pity. Please do not elbow your neighbor. <laughs> but I really want to say this because it's time, to, it's time to move on. Don't sit in the past, God's doing a new thing springing up before you? Do you not perceive it? Okay. So I'm done with that. <clears throat> Proverbs 14:13. even in laughter, the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. You know, it is possible even in the midst of our grief to experience laughter. We're going to talk about that a little bit later about the, the positive effects that laughter can have in our lives. Another way that the spirit of heaviness can situationally affect us is sometimes through our job. You know, I talk to people all the time and they just say, oh my gosh, my job is just, it's weighing me down. Like I'm so burdened. It sucks my will to live. Like every day, I just don't even want to go to work. And There is actually, I believe, a spirit that will, wants to attack you and wants to make you, first of all, hate your job, and second of all, to cause you to overwork. And I believe that the evil one will use your boss. And I'm not saying your boss is the evil one, but <laughs> for some of you maybe. But but I, I do believe that there is a spirit. And, and I'm basing this on something in Exodus five, starting with verse six, it says the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Now the backstory here, so you know the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh, offended him now. The Israelites were, were servants, they were slaves. And what a slave is, number one, a slave has no rights. And number two, a slave has no inheritance. So a slave has no joy and they have no hope. So this is the situation. The Israelites, God's chosen people, were being held captive in Egypt. And Pharaoh was their master. And they used to give them straw. And then they would make bricks out of it. And then they would produce. But there came a time where Pharaoh said, no more. We're not going to give them the straw anymore. They need to go get their own straw. So verse 7. You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks. Let them go gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks. And, and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. So he's basically saying they need to produce just as much with less resources. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like some of your jobs? It says um, you shall not reduce their quota. For their idol, therefore they cry out, saying, Let's go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it. Let them not regard false words. I, I, I believe I talk to people all the time who say, Yeah, it's weird, I got this job, and now my boss is scheduling me every Sunday. You have the right to tell your boss that you can't work Sundays because of your religious freedom, because you you want to worship the Lord. You actually can tell them that. Did you know that? So you tell your boss, say, I'm so sorry. My church requires me to come to church. It's a little stretch, but <laughs> sorry. But, but really, the enemy does not want you to be here. The evil one does not want you to be here. And the evil one wants you to work harder with less resources. You know, the Bible says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord together. I mean, there is a spiritual principle that takes place when we gather together. And the devil does not want you to come together with other believers. He doesn't want you to be here. But you can actually tell your boss, hey, I'm happy to work at one o'clock, but I can't work Sunday morning. So I'm moving on. There was a friend of mine who um, in the the Bay Area, he uh, was a car salesman He sold fleets of trucks, and um, his children were just little. They were toddlers at the time. And in that industry, he said that that they were expected to work between 60 and 70 hours a week, never a a Saturday off, had to work. And he was missing out on watching his kids grow up. And so he sat down with my husband and I, and he's like, I don't know what to do. He just keeps expecting more and more and more out of me. And I finally just said, hey, I think you need to just say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not going to miss out on watching my children grow up, so I can't work. I can't work 70 hours a week. And he goes, you don't understand the car industry. I said, I don't understand the auto industry, but what I do understand is the principles of God. And he's called you to be the dad to your kids, and you're going to miss out. So the guy... He went to his boss and he said, I'm sorry, I won't be able to work those long hours anymore. I'll be able to work from Monday, Monday through Friday, eight to five. And that's about all I can offer. And if that's not going to work, I'm going to have to find another job. His boss, in an unprecedented matter, said that he could do that. He offered him that. And then instead of losing money because he worked less hours, he almost doubled his income. Because he was honoring the principles of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Yay, God. Okay, so the other thing that can happen with the spirit of heaviness is it can go the other direction. It can just rob you of any any desire whatsoever. You know, like a spirit of kind of laziness, a spirit of sloth. You're like, I'm so exhausted, I can't even, I just like, I don't even want to get out of bed. I'm so tired. Actually, there's, well, I'll talk about this a little bit later, sorry. Um, in Proverbs 24:30, it says, I went past a field of a sluggard, which means a lazy person, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity, like, a, like an armed man. So there's a balance between overworking and giving in to the spirit of more bricks, less straw. And complete sloth and laziness and just not wanting to do anything. There's a balance there. And the Lord wants to instruct you and deliver you from like that oppressive spirit that wants to just drain you. So the third kind of depression, so there's clinical, chemical depression. Second one is situational, which can involve grief. Um, It can involve any kind of loss or sorrow or pain. But the third kind, I believe, is the one that, that we can really contend against. And this one is spiritual. I believe that there are demonic spirits that want to lie to us. And they want to try to throw us off course. And you know, the only power that Satan has is a power of a lie, but his lies are very believable and oftentimes they're in your own voice or in the voice of your parents from your past or your spouse. But how to be free from a spirit of heaviness, a demonic spirit of heaviness. The word that's used for spirit is ruach, which means like a spirit as in the spirit of the Lord or the spirit of man or a demonic spirit. Um, and it is a particularly sly and subtle spirit because its lies are, are very slimy, very hard to identify. But it is demonic. And I believe that, that the Lord has given us the freedom. You know, in Ephesians 6, it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are wrestling against principalities and rulers of the darkness, right? Right. Can you agree with me? There are demonic entities, even in America, even in Draper, even in Utah. Sometimes it manifests itself in like a sleepiness. Whenever you try to read the word, or whenever you try to listen to maybe a podcast, or maybe when you come to church, (laughs) there's like a sleepiness that comes over you. And it's kind of an unexplainable sleepiness, because it's like you've slept enough, you've had some coffee. But you get so sleepy. But it's only involving spiritual things. I believe this is demonic. There's also like a, a, a darkened countenance that can come over someone. I, I was talking to a young man after first service, and it's like I see a change in him. It's like there's the spirit of heaviness has been lifted off of him, and he actually looks different. You know, there can be that. You can sense that sometimes in people. And I'm not trying to get weird it it is actually a demonic thing, or a sense of foreboding, a sense of doom, a sense of hopelessness. You know, some people it's kind of, I call it the spirit of Eeyore. You know, Oh, it's never gonna work. You know that kind of everything's terrible. You know, so there's so so I think it's important for us to understand that the differences in the three different kinds of of depression or or heaviness that can come upon us, but there are some solutions. And I'm gonna offer three solutions to the spirit of heaviness and how to get set free from the spirit of heaviness. The first one is to repent. Now, again, repent just means to change the way that you think, to turn from the way that you think to a new way. And it says in Psalm 32, four and five, it says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. This is what happens if we have sin that we don't confess. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I remember... Years ago, there was something that I hadn't confessed to my husband and I had a friend tell me I needed to confess it and I was like, I'll pray about it, which meant no. Um, and I I just knew I did not want to confess this particular thing to my husband. And it, this literally was what happened to me. I literally became sick, so sick that I couldn't even get out of bed. And I had I didn't have anything physically wrong with me other than I had this unconfessed sin and the second I confessed it, boom, I, was, I felt fine. This is a legitimate thing. If you have something hidden in the dark, you have some sin that, that is weighing you down, this spirit of heaviness will have a heyday on your life. It will weigh you down. It will, it will drain you of all your energy. So I just urge you, whatever that thing is you're thinking of right now, confess it to somebody that you trust. Okay? I know I say this a lot, but also, if someone confesses something to you, be a safe place for them. Don't be a person that turns around and throws it back in their face. Extend the same grace you want extended to you. Okay? Doing unto others. First John 3, 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now listen to this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to, say it with me, destroy the works of the devil. The devil is like Pharaoh. The devil wants to put you in bondage. The devil wants you to be his slave. When Jesus came to set you free, Jesus came to earth to overcome the works of the devil. And some of us have been delivered. We've been saved We've come to know Jesus, we're born again, but we're still not free. We're still bound because we don't think right. The best way you can think right is to have your mind changed by what God says about himself. And if you don't, if you don't know, if you're not sure how to read the Bible or, or you have a lot of questions, find somebody that you trust, join a community group, or get in a Bible study and ask questions. It's okay You don't have to understand everything, but the parts you do understand, learn to live and trust that that's the Word of God, the eternal, life-giving, hope-filled Word of God. Okay? And Jesus wants to destroy the works of the devil, and it says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight... That slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You know, you know, running a race—it's like I always think about that episode of The Office where he did the race for rabies awareness. Um, sorry for the office reference, but you know, but when you go out on a run, you don't want to have a bunch of—I mean, you don't want to have like a. A backpack on you and a gallon of water and everything. If you go out running or if you're in a race, you want to be as light as possible, right? That's why they make the shoes that weigh like a half an ounce. That you, you don't want anything to hold you back. And that's what the spirit of heaviness wants to do. It wants to hold you back from accomplishing what God has created you to, to do and to be. And, and God is saying, put off every weight and the sin that just holds you back. He's saying, get rid of it. Move forward. Amen? Okay, so first thing we do is repent. Second thing we do is remember. Don't forget. You know that the Egyptians or that the Israelites, the trip through um, Egypt into the promised land, into where they were supposed to end up, should have only taken them 11 days, but instead it took 40 years because of their rebellion, their grumbling, their complaining, their unbelief. Their lack of faith in God, it took them 40 years. What should have taken 11 days? And God's saying, don't take 40 years. He said, just go straight through. Just remember that I'm good. Remember that I'm righteous. You know, because the Israelites kept doubting over and over. They just kept doubting that God was really who he said he was. They kept doubting that he was good and that he was for them. If we would just really believe that, God would blow us away. I really believe God would blow us away with his faithfulness to us if we just believe that he is who he says he is. Some of us, again, we've been delivered, but we're not free. Psalm 42.5 says, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What's the solution? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He is saying, rejoice in me, celebrate, praise, even when your heart's breaking, even when you're in the middle of a storm, even when you have no hope, even when I don't see it, you're working. Remember that song, do it again? I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe you're going to do it again. I believe he's going to do it again. The The third thing we can do, so we repent, we remember, and then we rejoice. Let's read this together in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. What? Wait. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord when? When? He actually has to say it again. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for what? Be anxious for, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, which is praise, a garment of praise. Thanksgiving is celebrating and rejoicing in God because it's saying, I, I don't understand how you're going to deliver me. I don't know how you're going to get me out of this mess. This is a toxic spill. I don't have a clue, but I trust you. I trust that you are good. I trust that you know best. I trust that you have an answer, and I trust that you are the God of all eternity. And that's what the God, what the Lord wants to say to you. Yeah, we can praise God for that. Rejoice always, yeah. <laughs> it says, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying, it's okay. You can talk to me about it. You don't have to pretend like it's not happening, but talk to him about it. You know, we used to have a saying, Go to the throne before you go to the phone. (laughs) You know, go to God with your problems first. Then when you go to your friends or your family or your spouse or your loved ones, you're going to have a different perspective. Okay? Go to God first when you're burdened. You don't have to sit and try to resolve it with others. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. It says in here, Proverbs 17:22, "A merry heart or a cheerful heart or a joyful heart, or laughter, does good, like medicine." Just like medicine. Studies have been done. laughter improves your health and I've been praying this last week especially I've really been asking the Lord to restore laughter to this church to restore laughter to the individuals and to us as a family you know I think there's something so healing about laughter you know the Proverbs 31 woman it says she laughs at the days to come She's not stressed. She's not freaking out. She's laughing at the days to come because she knows God is for her and God is good and God is faithful. It says, a a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. There's actually a physical manifestation where it will dry up your bones. It will make them brittle. Physically, it, it will mess you up. A broken spirit. Um, after my husband passed away, I, like half my hair fell out. It was weird. You know, and it's, and it's like weird stuff happens physically when our spirits are broken. And that's why the Lord tells us, laugh. There's a freedom that comes through laughter. Laughter breaks a spirit of heaviness. Spiritually. I mean, not if you're laughing at other people and mocking them. That's, that's a different thing. It, it says in the, in the God's Word translation, it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but depression drains one's strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's in God's presence we experience fullness of joy, right? Never trust a joyless Christian. Seriously, it's like God is a God of laughter. He created laughter. He wants us to laugh. And and even when your heart's breaking, you can still still rejoice. You can still celebrate and laugh. I'm not trying to diminish your situation, but I'm just saying the Lord has promised us he'll meet us in those times. He'll heal us. He'll deliver us and he'll set us free. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may may remain in you and your joy may be full. This is Jesus saying this. Psalm 34, 1. I want you to read this with me. Would you stand and read this with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Psalm 34, 1. Let's say it together. Go. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Never feel guilty about having joy. Make sure your joy is a joy of the Lord. You're not putting your joy in circumstances. Put the joy in the Lord because that that's the one non-negotiable is the Lord. And pray that God would restore laughter to your life too. Psalm 126.3 says, We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nation said, Wow. What amazing things the Lord has done for them. That's what I want them to say about this place. Wow. What amazing things the Lord has done. That our mouths would be filled with laughter and we would experience the joy of the Lord. Amen.